0: All right, Matthew chapter 18. Church, I'm sorry, Luke. Thank you, sister. Um, This is a text that I don't think you would pick if you weren't exegeting scripture. I'm just, be real plain about it. I don't think that you would pick this text if you didn't commit to going verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And really, I don't even want to teach it. Because it's hard. It's really hard. It's hard in like the sense of theological. It's hard like in the sense of what he's saying. It's hard to even think about what he's saying. And if I do justice to the text, you're going to probably feel the same way. Let's look at verse 37 so we remind ourselves of what we just left. Because the giant 18 is a rude interruption. The giant 18 is a rude interruption make sure that as you teach the word of God in this church that you are careful not to let the numbers interrupt the text this is what they've just heard or this is what Luke the author at a minimum wants you to connect and they said to him where Lord and Jesus said to them, where the corpse, let me paraphrase that for you, where the dead body is, there the vultures will gather. And then the, then the very next parable that Luke presents, whether Jesus told it in this order is not what's important here. It's the arrangement That Luke the author has chosen as his order. And he told him a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect?" who cry to him day and night, will he delay long over them? It's a rhetorical question, with the answer being revealed in verse 8, no. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Now look at this last sentence. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, Will he find faith on the earth? Father in heaven, help us tonight to get the most out of the biblical text that can be pulled out, edified out, extracted, applied. Help us, God, to grasp the significance of the parable and how it connects in Jesus name amen so first I want to ask you why does someone stop praying and I don't mean stop praying about a particular thing that's not what I mean I mean why does someone stop praying why does prayer cease to be part of their life Marcus They they lose faith Sam they don't see an immediate answer, Sean. They don't have the confidence because of their sin or sin life in. They don't have confidence, John. They get an answer to prayer. All right, they get an answer to prayer. When I say praying, I'm not talking about praying about a particular thing. I'm talking about prayer drops out of their life. Business of life. Busyness of life. All right, God knows my heart. He he knows what I need. I don't don't need to bother God. I'm just going to do life. What? They're They're bitter. Yeah, Caleb's right. They're bitter. That's what we're talking about in part here. Now, let's make sure that we see the connection that Luke wants us to see. Luke did not write 18 into the narrative. Luke did not create page numbers that you turn. You've got to see that we're still talking about eschatology. We haven't stopped. It's abundantly clear with verse number 18, verse 8. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So what's in between here in the green with the question mark? What is the relationship between verse 37, Where, Lord, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather, and nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So the first one says, And he told him a parable to the effect that they had always to pray and not lose heart. You will see that I took the font of not lose heart and I made it much larger. Let's look back at Luke chapter 11 for just a moment. Let's look back at Luke 11 and we're going to go to several passages with some significant reading to make sure that we're tracking. After giving them a portion of the model prayer, verses 1, 2, 3, 4, he tells them and he said to them, which of you? who as a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. And for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer in verse seven, do not bother me, the door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Verse eight, I will tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, yet because of his imprudence, importunity I think in the King James, this incredible persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. Everyone who receives, ask, receives. The one who finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you is his son Ask for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If he asks an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. So what I want to make sure that you know is 18 is not 11. It's not 11 at all. It's radically different. 11 is an incredible lesson on praying and persisting in prayer. This is not 18. I told Jack at lunch this week that I went into my time at 18 thinking like 11. Like I had 11 glasses on and I was just going to repeat 11 as that kind of that mindset, John, like, okay, yeah, this is all about persistence. This is not what this is about. This is about not losing heart. This is about not losing heart. And if we're honest tonight, if we're honest, this is the least of our concerns. The least of our concerns. And the reason... It's the least of our concerns is we all, me, you and us, live a really good life. I mean, let's just own it. You know, raise your hand if you're spoiled. Well, every hand should be going up here. We're not in the Gaza Strip right now. We're not living on a daily ration of food. We're not in a concentration camp in North Korea. We're not in... Africa, where the gospel is totally off limits and anyone who names the name of Christ is subject to being executed. We live a cushy life. And the truth be told, the last thing on our mind is losing heart. So we want to ask, what are they losing heart about? And what kind of lesson on prayer is this? So I don't think that we can fully understand this text without the knowledge of Luke 21. So please go to Luke 21. And you say, but he arranged this beforehand. Yes, that is correct. But there are many parables that the disciples understood more after he was gone than when he was there. And I think this could fall in that same category. So would you please turn to Luke 21 and let's look at verse number 11 together. Verse 10 says, Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, famines, pestilence, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. Look at what he says. Verse 13, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. You will be arrested for your faith. Do not lose heart. Seize it as a moment. Seize it as a moment. Somebody asked me this week, Pastor Sean, you believe in a post-tribulation, pre-wrath, rapture. Some believe mid, some believe pre. What difference does it make? This is what difference it makes. If you have been telling the evangelical church, Mike, you get a get-out-of-free-jail card, Their entire lives, and suddenly it goes bad. I mean, really bad. And you've been telling them, you don't have to worry about this. You don't have to, you get a pass. Ejection for you. Well, who's he talking to in this text? Who's he talking to in this text? Because he says they're going to haul you before the magistrate. And when you get hauled before the magistrate, think of it as an opportunity to testify unto the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jennifer just said, these are believers, and she is correct. These are believers. Settle it, therefore, in your minds. What an incredible statement. Settle it in your minds to meditate before and how to answer for I will give you a mouth and wisdom and none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends and some of you they will put to death what period of time is he talking about He's talking about the tribulation. That's exactly what he's describing right here. And so we know that there is a clear correlation between 1737, 18.1, and Luke 21 right here. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. You say, Pastor Sean, what do you do with verse 20? Well, what I do with verse 20 is I think that there is a dual application and fulfillment to these kind of texts. Gene, I think that this text had application to those disciples living in that generation and they saw that. And John, they heard the Lord Jesus Christ say those words, and they said, We've got to get out of Dodge right now. And I think that this text has an application to a generation in the future that will be alive, and they need to know these words and be ready to get out of Dodge. And you say, Will it be exactly the same? No, I don't think it'll be exactly the same, but it'll be enough a saying that those that are filled with the Holy Spirit and know the Word of God will see Can I use the tea leaves? The handwriting on the wall, the imagery, the prophetic warnings. And this is why it's critical that we study this. This is why we know this. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are inside the city depart. Let those who are out in the country enter in. For these days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written, alas. "'Women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, "'for there will be great distress on the earth and wrath against this people. "'They will fall by the edge of a sword and be led captive among all the nations, "'and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles "'until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. "'There will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and the earth "'and distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, "'people fainting with fear.'" With foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of heaven will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up. Raise your heads. Because your redemption is drawing near. Now with that level of context... Do you now get a better understanding of why he's saying to a particular generation, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. How many of us can remember pre-COVID? How many has ever thought When we were told, if we'll just close the church for two weeks, we'll stop the curb down and we'll eliminate this virus. Nod your heads if you remember this. And then the clicker started on CNN. The ticker started on Fox News. And it was 1, 10, 100, 1,000, 10,000, 20,000. Do you remember that? And every day you looked at the death toll. And it was a death sentence to get covid And nobody could have imagined in a million years that a virus could sweep from China over through uh, Washington State and across the United States and churches will be closed. and, And church, from what we read in Revelation, that's nothing compared to what's coming. Nothing. That was a pitiful little thing compared to what's being described here. So Jesus creates this character of an individual he says in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying and we've got to nail down this statement in green on the screen for you give me justice against my adversary this is not your normal prayer request when was the last time you prayed about justice against an adversary?" she is not asking for healing she's not asking for bread or a better job she's not asking for a new house to live in or the right church to go to she is praying to vindicate one's right she wants someone punished do you all get this this is much different so we want to ask ourselves tonight, what is met by justice in the context of this parable verses 3, 5, 7, and 8? There Two different Greek words used here. So we look at both of them in verses 3 and 5. They're used the same. And then we read these words like in Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Same Greek word. 2 Corinthians 10, 6. Be ready to punish every." Disobedience. Revelation 6.10, and we'll turn there in just a moment. Avenge. Revelation 19.2 has avenged. Do you get this? Someone has done this widow wrong. And wrong in a big way. And she wants that individual punished. Well, church, who's the widow? It's us. It's us, John. It's the church. When was the last time you prayed a precatory prayer on anyone? Do you get what I'm saying tonight? You are being afflicted and persecuted so bad that you are crying out to God to avenge on your behalf. This is incredible. This is hard for us to grasp. Turn to Revelation chapter 6. Turn to Revelation chapter 6. You've got the seals. You remember these. There's a series of them. And they just get worse. It's it's bad. Verse number four And there came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people slay one another. And he was given a great sword. Verse number five. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the living creature say, come. And I looked and behold, a black horse and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil or the wine. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. And I looked and behold, a pale horse and its rider's name was death. Death and Hades followed him. They were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with a sword and with a famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts. And that's seal number four. We open to seal number five now. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who'd been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And look what they're crying in verse 10. It's so important that you see this because it's the exact same Greek word. O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge and avenge? Do you see that word avenge? It's the word justice in our text. How long will you avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Do you see what they're praying for, Steve? They were martyred for the cause of Christ. And they're now asking, how long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood? That's the same cry of the widow. That is the same cry. How long before you avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then the text switches in verse number 7 and 8 to a slightly different Greek word. We know that they're very connected because it's um, 1556, 1557. So there's a clear relationship there, but it's a slightly different word. And will not God give justice? And I tell you, he will give justice. So the widow is crying for justice against my adversary. When you read that word adversary, you need to be thinking about the adversary. The Satan. We see this very clearly in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, pries around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, I'm well aware that nearly the entire church does not agree with me, and I'm okay with that. I'm my own person. I'm under the theological conviction that Satan is presently bound in his ability to deceive the nations. He's like a mob boss in jail who has all kinds of influence, but he's not out, he's in. But the Bible makes it very clear that he will be released. And I believe that when he is released is the transition to move to the tribulation and then the great tribulation. So I want you to imagine for just a moment that the mob boss has been kind of constrained in what he can do. But now he's been released. And literally, if I could use this expression, all bets are off. And it goes from bad to incredibly, inconceivably inimaginably horrific. It is so bad that the Lord Jesus Christ is saying to you tonight, sister, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Now, whether you agree with me or not concerning the Mabas, what Jesus says and Matthew chapter 24 is this is a great tribulation like the world has never seen before. So it doesn't matter whether you agree or disagree with me on that premise. You must accept the fact that Jesus describes the great tribulation as an unprecedented level of deception and destruction and murder and famine and pestilence like the world has never seen before. It is so bad that if it were possible, even the elect would be deceived. It is so bad That the Lord in his sovereignty cuts it short so as to not eliminate all that could happen. Now this is the context of our parable. So for a while, this unjust judge who neither fears God nor man is refusing. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man... So I asked tonight, is this a real person? The answer is no, this is not a real person. This is the caricature that the Lord Jesus creates in order to magnify who God is. Do you all see that? Yet, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down. And we assume that to be figurative language by her continually coming. To which Jesus now transitions us. So Jesus said, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. The unrighteous judge says. Clearly making a distinction between the righteous God. So if the unrighteous judge says this. Magnify the righteous God. And will not God give justice to his elect who cried to him day and night. Now, why does he say, why does he say, who cried to him day and night? Why did he give this parable? Because the very action of crying to him day and night confirms and reinforces your faith in his existence. Right. In other words, your crying to him day and night strengthens your faith. That's right. The moment you stop crying to him, you're on a downward glide path of abandoning the faith. Let's just stop for a moment and think about your own life tonight. Have you had periods of time when you've had more prayer and less t- prayer? Can you think with me about that? More prayer and less prayer. Yes or no? Did you feel closer to God when you had less prayer or closer to God when you had more prayer? Exactly. And so he's saying to us tonight, in order not to lose heart, cry to God day and night. And don't stop crying to God. Beseech him. Beg him. Yell out to him. So turn to Luke chapter 11, verse 1. We, me, you, us, we do not get the significance of the first petition in the model prayer. We do not get the significance of the first petition in the model prayer. Now, when Jesus was praying in a certain place, verse 1, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. And he said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name, and the next three words have become merely wrote for the Church of Jesus Christ. Wrote. You know what I mean? Josh wrote. Something we say has no real significance. Yet if we understand eschatology correctly, when we pray, "Your kingdom come," we know that he comes to reestablish his rule on this earth. And to make everything right. There is no more important petition than your kingdom come. God's people should be crying out every day. Day and night. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Not from an empty road perspective, Elder Mike. But from the reality of what these three words encompass. So Jeff, I'm not saying you pray your kingdom come. I'm saying... That you articulate everything that's associated with that. In other words, take those three three theological words and then build a framework under that. Lord Jesus, I know you're coming again. I know you're coming as king. I know you're coming to rule and reign. I know you're going to avenge our blood when you come. I know you're going to make all things right. You see where I'm going with this? And you literally can have a litany of things that you pray about under the heading of your kingdom come Do you understand that you will never have to think about the acuity of a president ever again when his kingdom comes? Do you understand that you'll never have another voting choice to have to make and find yourselves in an ethical dilemma? If I vote for this one, I do this one. If I vote for this one, I do this one. What a mess we are. Do you understand that you're never, ever going to have that scenario again when King Jesus comes to establish his kingdom on this earth? Is there a more important prayer for God's people to pray than your kingdom Come? Are you reading too much into that? Well, the very next line says your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know what the solution to the problem in Gaza is? Your kingdom come. It's not a two-state solution. A two-state solution is not a problem. Do you know what the solution to the Ukraine stalemate is? Your kingdom come. Do you know what the solution is between Trump and Biden? Your kingdom come. I was listening to an economist say that in 20 years we should have $120 trillion of debt. hundred, He said that that is clearly unsustainable. Come, Lord Jesus. We're not thinking enough about this. So we'll... Will he delay long over them? Well, the answer is based on your perspective. Will he delay long over them? Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. Just huge blocks of Scripture tonight because they're so helpful. Just huge blocks of Scripture We need to learn the Bible in its context by pericopes, not buzzwords, not two little words or three little words. So let's start with verse number one. Tonight I read to you, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you. This is the Apostle Peter who was told that he would give his life in the same manner as his Lord, only upside down. Can you imagine that? Gene, can you imagine being told at an early age, around 30-something, you're now in your 50s, right? To be told that when you die, it'll be in a way that you don't want, and you're going to be butt naked when you give your life up. Tom, can you imagine spending 30 years of your life thinking about that? Don, can you imagine 30 years of your life thinking about that? The one that you love, the one that you're crazy about, the master, the one that you're fully convinced is the God, Son of God himself, looks at you and says, this is how you're going to die. That's hard to conceive of, isn't it? And that's how he lived his life. That's our author. This is the one that's writing these words to us in verse number 1 of chapter number 3 of Second Peter now, now the second letter I'm writing to you, beloved, in both of them, I'm stirring you up by sincere mind, by way of a reminder that you would remember the prediction, predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing and they're going to follow their own sinful desires. They will say... I'm sure you have this underlined in your Bible. Where is the promise of his coming? Where's the Perugia? You Christians have been talking about the Perugia for 2,000 years. Surely it's time to abandon the ridiculousness of the second coming of Christ and realize you just need to make life better on this earth because there's no hope for a future. Do you understand how many liberal churches have embraced that very philosophy? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged by water and perished. But by the same word the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept under the judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. So when you're thinking about speedily, it's been two days. It's been two days. Do you get that? It's been two days. And if I say to you, I can get your grass cut in 2 days. That's a pretty good response. You're not you're not like 2 days? That when are you No, you're happy with that. If 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 the plumber can say, "Yeah, I can get over there and get this fixed in 2 days." You don't think of that as an incredibly long time. That's a reasonable response. See, it's all about perspective. It's all about perspective. The Lord is not slow. He's not slow. So if you're wondering about this idea of speedily he goes out of his way to say the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. A thief. You say, oh, there it is. There's that pre-tribulation rapture, thief in the night. See it? No. First Thessalonians chapter number five. I don't have time to turn there, but Paul says it's not going to come to you like a thief because you know what you're looking for. If you're struggling with this idea, go read First Thessalonians chapter four. Don't stop in chapter four. Read chapter five. So what coming is this? Is this the rapture? No, this is not the rapture because everything is getting burned up, dissolved in the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what manner of man, what sort of people ought you to be in lives in holiness and godliness waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? How do I hasten the coming of the day of the Lord? I join the souls that are under the altar in praying day and night, come, Lord Jesus. Come. Come. Lord Jesus because the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn but according to his promise church we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells so in verse number 8 I tell you he will give justice to them speedily he will do that I know exactly what time it is. I'm not going to go over it. I promise you. Turn to Second Thessalonians chapter number one to see this incredible connection. First Second Thessalonians chapter number one to see this incredible connection. Second Thessalonians chapter one. Let's look at verse six together. Listen to what Paul writes. Verse 5 says, This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Since, indeed, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes in that day to be glorified in the saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. So that the name of our Lord may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. So what is amazing is that this Greek word right here on the screen in verse number 18, justice, is this Greek word right here, rendered vengeance. The exact same Greek word. And this is why it's so important, church, that you take the time to go to Blue Letter Bible and look at the Greek if you're a teacher in this congregation because how many of you would have made the connection between justice and vengeance if you hadn't looked at the Greek it's not the same word from our perspective we are so characterized by social justice and that entire movement idea that we don't think vengeance when we hear justice but that's what she's praying about the NASB says dealing out retribution vengeance it's the same thing so let's end it right now Verse 8, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Why is he asking this question? Because he wants every single disciple in this room, every single person in this room to resolve that you will not lose heart. In other words, your public committing tonight, Lord Jesus No matter how bad it gets, I won't lose faith. How will you make sure that you don't lose faith? You will never stop crying to the Lord. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. Avenge us, Lord God. Rule and reign. Judge the wicked. Heal the brokenhearted. Magnify your glory. You're literally taking everything That doesn't deal with your hangnail, the big things, and begging God in your prayer life, come, come, and come. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that we grasp the significance of what Christ communicated in this simple parable. And Lord, we are so thankful for how blessed we are. And we know, Lord God, all of us in this room know that we live spoiled lives of an incredible levels of comfort compared to the rest of the world Lord God I pray that our comfort doesn't impede our steadfastness for the Lord Jesus Christ and that we could resolve ourselves to be disciples of Christ under the most arduous conditions no matter what happens that we would not lose heart in Jesus name amen